Yellow stickers in the entranceways to hundreds of buildings in Wellington are a nagging reminder of the hundreds of millions of dollars needed to fix them up. The properties are earthquake risks, from a railway station to a cinema to dozens of apartments. For many of the apartment owners, it's crunch time. Fix them or lose them. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. Today on The Detail, quake-proofing the capital and why it's such a problem. It is extremely tricky from a, a legal, from a financial and from a regulatory point of view, and there's lots of emotion tied up in it as well. So it is an extremely unfortunate and difficult situation. Wellington City Council's Mike Mendonca explains this difficult situation. But just listen to this. Somebody posted on, on my Twitter account, and I'm quoting them, we wouldn't have much sympathy for anyone who gambled on Bitcoin as a retirement plan. Why is investing in property any different? That was the message to New Zealand Herald journalist Georgina Campbell when she put out the call to Wellington apartment owners facing huge earthquake strengthening bills. It's a massive issue for Wellington City, and I think it's one that is underreported on because things get very complicated very quickly. The science of, of earthquake engineering isn't exactly an exact science. You know, it's a moving beast because every earthquake we have, whether it was the ones in Christchurch or the Kaikoura earthquake, um, things change because they learn more about how earthquakes affect buildings. And this is set on the backdrop of a very volatile um, construction industry. Engineers in Wellington are in, in hot demand because it's such a big issue here. So it just sort of turns into a bit of a mess um, very quickly, I think. And hugely costly. Massive. And they're big enough for Wellington City Council or, or the government. But when you get apartment owners in a building who sort of describe themselves as ma and pa people, it's just it's a total curveball. And, you know, they've sort of described it as putting them on the brink of financial disaster, really, because it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so you've done this story about Michael Cummins, who is facing a $400,000 earthquake strengthening bill for his apartment, and it's going to wipe out his retirement plan. But the interesting thing is that I'm looking at a picture of him right now, and it looks like a beautiful apartment. Could you tell that it needed earthquake strengthening? No, you'd have no idea. And I think... One of the most frustrating thing is for these owners, if you take the Kaikoura earthquake, for example, you had really new buildings. Uh, for instance, you know, Statistics House, floors partially collapsed in, in that building that's since been demolished. And then you've got this building, which is deemed earthquake prone and was fine in the Kaikoura earthquake. It's still standing. You know, you've got other buildings in Wellington. There's one that I'm writing about at the moment, actually, the Wellesley Hotel now, down the other end of town on Lampton Quay. You know, it was built more than 100 years ago. It it has been given a 3% MBS rating, which is very, very low. MBS standing for? Which is the new building standard, um, which sort of gives an idea about um, how safe buildings are in terms of human life. But this building, built 100 years ago, is, is still standing. And, and yet you've got other buildings, you know, built in, in the past 20 years, which have 
crumbled. So I think that's really difficult for them to to see and experience. What is Michael Cummins' story? How did you come across him? There was a select committee recently which heard, heard about this issue. And it's one that I've been aware of for a while, but that I haven't cracked into. And I thought, actually... I want to get stuck into this. So I got in touch with Inner City Wellington, which is a residents association, and that's how I came across Michael Cummins, who's a member of that, and called him up and said, hey, can I talk to you about your situation? And he agreed to it, which I think is a big deal for these owners because they're sort of putting it out there that their property is not worth very much and it's a major asset for them. So it's quite hard to go on the record, I think, about these kind of things. Um, But basically his story in a nutshell is that back in 2010, the estimated cost to strengthen the building, you know, per owner was about $40,000. That's still quite a lot of money, right? But fast forward um, to the end of last year, and that has since escalated, in Michael's case, to $400,000. So all up, it's going to cost about $6 million to sort out the entire building. And after strengthening, the building would be worth about $13 million. Let's unpick those figures. Ten years ago, Michael Cummins was quoted $40,000 for his share in fixing the building. That's blown out to 400000 today. And because he's on a main route in a high-risk seismic area, he and the other apartment block owners have just seven and a half years to sort it out. There's sort of a lot of factors that have played into this. Some of them are quite specific to his situation. I'm sure you'll recall the plan for the Basin Reserve flyover. Mm. They weren't sure how that was going to affect their building, whether or not their building would have to make way for that, so they put it off. And then the earthquake legislation changed during that time as well, which increased the standards, which means it would cost more to get the building to meet the standard. And I think as well, as time's gone on, things have become more expensive. Engineers and people working in construction are in uh, real demand, and so that's uh, you know pushed up the costs as well. Remember the gun buyback scheme? Well, shortly we'll find out what that has to do with apartment owners struggling to pay for earthquake strengthening. But let's wind it back now and look at what makes a building a quake risk. Mike Mendonca is the council's chief resilience officer. About a thousand buildings in Wellington are earthquake prone under the current regulations. 400 of those buildings have already been um, attended to, so we have about 600 left in the city that still need work. Most of them are in private ownership. And we're talking about mostly apartment blocks? No, actually mostly commercial. There are about 50 residential units. Now you've got to be a bit careful because many buildings are mixed use. That is, they are either commercial and industrial, or they'll have an apartment in them as well. But there are about 50 that are residential only, that is, they are apartment blocks and nothing else. Is it the apartment blocks that are the most problematic because of the multiple ownership with them? Apartment owners are are feeling the pinch at the moment uh, for a number of reasons. One is there's a timeline coming up in 2027 where a whole bunch of those building owners will need to have completed their work by. Often there are complications with the ownership structure, such as a body corporate, which sometimes make it di- makes it difficult to get consensus to get everybody to in- invest in their building. So yes, apartment owners are under the gun at the moment and, and have been letting people know about that, but they're not the only owners. There are about 50 
apartment-only units in, in Wellington, and that leaves another 550 that are different. I mean, we have to acknowledge that this is something that's happening across the country, that buildings need to be earthquake-strengthened, but in Wellington it seems to be more of an issue than the rest of the country. Yeah, I, I, the whole point of these regulations is to manage risk. So New Zealand is divided into high, medium and low-risk zones for the purposes of this legislation. Wellington is high risk, and Mother Nature gives us a, a brutal reminder of that from time to time. So we, we know we can expect uh, a moderate or large earthquake at some point in Wellington. As the capital city, uh, really, we we have an obligation to be ahead of the game. And when did this whole thing of needing to earthquake strengthen buildings come up? Was it the Canterbury earthquakes? No, because, because we've known about this in Wellington, we've been doing this for 25 years. Following the Canterbury earthquakes, the government made a call to widen out what we were already doing to the rest of the country. So that was enacted in 2017. So now the rest of the country is doing pretty much what Wellington was doing before with a couple of changes and improvements. What does it take to be deemed an unsafe building? The first thing that we do is do um, an initial assessment where we send out an engineer to do like a screening test to determine whether or not a building might be earthquake prone. A screening test is typically looking at the age of the building, uh, what it's made of, um, and whether or not it, it might be earthquake prone. If a building is uh, likely to be earthquake prone, we advise the owner of the building, and then the onus is on the building owner to prove that it is not. Um, typically the way that is done is by um, a more detailed seismic assessment uh, to determine what the actual state of the building is and whether or not um, a work can be done to mitigate uh, the, the risk around the building. Well, another major building in Wellington that was damaged by last year's 7.8 magnitude earthquake is to be demolished. Wellington's got a problem with quake-prone buildings, as this apartment owner, Carol Brown... City's port company and the building's owner, Centreport, say it'll cost too much to repair Statistics House after almost a year of negotiations between the port... Engineers may have to be brought in from outside Wellington to complete government-ordered strengthening work on building facades in the inner city. The fern globe that hangs above the capital's civic square has been pulled down again for remedial... Several buildings in Wellington have already been demolished and there's still a long list waiting for assessments and insurance claims. The library was closed suddenly in March due to worries about its safety in a large earthquake. We've screened 5,000 buildings and as I mentioned there are 1,000 where we have found them to be earthquake prone. And are there any more? Are you doing more screening or is that it? From time to time we find a building we haven't previously screened but that's generally about it. As time goes by, we learn more and more about our ground conditions and about uh, what happens to buildings in earthquakes. You know, the Canterbury earthquake taught us a lot about um, non-doctile columns. It's buildings that don't sway in an earthquake. So we've had a look at that across the country. And after the Kaikoura earthquake, uh, with a failure of Statistics House, you might recall, we, we, we learned a lot about precast concrete floors and how they behave in an earthquake. So we're always learning more about our buildings and how they behave in earthquakes. I guess the challenge is to make sure that our regulations keep up with, with the knowledge that we are acquiring all the time. Is there an average cost of fixing up these buildings? I suppose you can't have an average cost because they're all so different. We think about half a billion dollars worth of work needs to happen in Wellington, but of course that is just on the back of a cigarette pack, a calculation, and, and uh, but it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars of work that needs to be done. And that's the problem, isn't it, for a lot of these owners, is where do they get the money from for their share of fixing them up? Yeah, we acknowledge that, definitely for apartment owners, particularly for people who are on fixed incomes, or who perhaps have invested in their uh, apartment as their retirement for their retirement, now find themselves in a, quite an, an invidious position.
So what can can the council do anything about that? It's a nationwide issue. So um, the government has put in place a suspensory loan scheme, which I think is supposed to come on board in the next six to 12 months. Um, that's a matter to be discussed with, with government rather than council. Council does uh, provide a little bit of assistance with a building resilience fund and uh, a heritage fund that is specifically for earthquake-prone buildings. But um, it's limited in terms of the difference that it makes. But what what's going to happen, do you think, Mike, come 2027, if some of these owners don't have the money or even you know are refusing to stump up with the money to fix up their buildings? Will they lose them? Does the council have any powers in this area? The council's powers around the Building Act, and that is to enforce the regulations at the moment. This is complicated. The government is looking at this from a, a loan perspective. I don't want to speculate on what's going to happen, but we, we are listening to apartment owners, and we've had the message loud and clear from them as to what their concerns are. We've had various assessments of the cost of strengthening our building, ranging from about a million dollars, and now we're up to about four million dollars. And it is just an ongoing nightmare. Our, our main concern is the safety of the public um, in and around these buildings. There are a couple at the moment whose notices have already expired. Now, I, I, these are not apartment buildings. These are commercial buildings. There's one in Adelaide Road and one in Gusney Street. For the first time, a council is going to court so that it can strengthen two heritage-listed earthquake-prone buildings because the owners have refused to do so. Both of those buildings are fenced off at the moment. I can't say much more than that because it's currently with the courts. OK. But do you envisage that you're going to have more situations like this? It's definitely a possibility that that will be the case. Because it's quite tricky, isn't it? Especially if you, if you take a building that is an apartment block with multiple owners and for a lot of these people that might be their life savings poured into it and they just... Even with government loan, they just might not be able to come up with the money to fix them. It is extremely tricky from a, a legal, from a financial and from a regulatory point of view and actually from an emotional perspective as well because it's all very well to talk about uh, buildings and infrastructure but as you point out, this is actually people's legacy and there's lots of emotion tied up in it as well. So it, it is an extremely unfortunate and difficult situation. The message loud and clear from apartment owners is that they don't like the government loan scheme. And Georgina Campbell says that with the deadlines looming to fix their buildings, they want more support. There are hundreds of people in this situation. So at that select committee that I mentioned before, the inner city Wellington president, Geraldine Murphy, was there speaking in support of a petition. And this petition is asking for the House of Representatives to review the earthquake-prone building provisions in the Building Act because they think they're unfair. So basically they want to remove the requirement for apartment home owners to comply with these um, regulations to strengthen or demolish their buildings. They also would like some compensation for this, which is it's quite contentious, I think, because some residents sort of draw parallels with the gun buyback scheme, for example. Now, the government gun buyback scheme starts today and runs for six months to December the 20th. You know, the government changed the rules, taking away gun owners' property rights. The scheme has been boosted to $208 million and will see gun owners' compensation based on the type of gun and its condition.
so those owners were compensated and they sort of want the same thing. Because and the government's changed the rules and the cost has gone up by so much. They, they say that the government should pitch in with a share of the cost of um, making their buildings earthquake resilient. Yes, they want help from the government because the thing is it's not just um, benefiting those apartment owners because their buildings happen to be you know, reasonably big buildings um, in the city. It, it becomes a public safety thing, right? And so I think the uh, apartment owner's argument is like, well, if you want us to fund um, what essentially is a, a public safety thing, then you know we want some um, taxpayer help with that, if you like. Mm. And I guess um, there are some parallels also to be drawn with the government's financial assistance package for weather type claims. So this was the the leaky homes debacle, and here the government um, offered a twenty five percent financial contribution towards repair costs. But the government has decided not to do something like that in this case. They've gone with a loan scheme instead. The government's announced a low-interest loan scheme to help owners pay for their apartments to be earthquake-strengthened. But some owners say the eligibility criteria is too strict, the loan cap is too low and the government should be offering grants and compensation, not loans. So it's only for owner occupiers so you have to own the apartment and live in the apartment and I can see the the merit in that on the face of it but you know some people have found the situation so stressful that they've sort of moved out of their their apartments and look these people um a lot of them a lot of the ones that I've spoken to like uh, Michael Cummins like let's be frank it's not like they're they're on the breadline but they're also not kind of hotshot investors who have you know lots of apartments um they you know they might have a batch up the coast and they have an apartment in wellington and it is their main financial nest egg for retirement and then what happens if say one owner in that apartment block just says, I'm not coming up with the money. I mean, it's so complicated. Do all the owners within one building have to agree to stump up the money to have the work done? Yeah, this is where it gets very messy. In the case of Michael Cummins, he would rather just spend the money and get the building strengthened. But as you say, the problem is it's not just up to him. There are, you know, dozens of other owners in the building and everything is done through the body corporate. So it's sort of voted on. He's told me that he's already had four owners come to him and say, look, we just can't afford the strengthening cost. Some have tried to sell their apartment apartments and real estates have told many people, look, don't even bother trying to do that. So Michael's um, body corporate later this month is going to put to a vote whether they should pursue sort of putting the whole building up for sale, seeing what they can get for it and, and walking away. But say if Michael Cummins and the other owners do agree to fix it up, there's no guarantee that his bill will stop at $400,000. Look at Wellington's town hall. The Wellington City Council is being accused of spending a preposterous amount of money on its town hall. The cost of earthquake strengthening is now expected to be $112 million. It's nearly three times the initial estimate. That's the other thing that owners have to prepare for, is that just because they've got a, a final cost in the detailed design phase 
it, it potentially could be even more than that, you know, once engineers get in and um, those doing the work have, have a good look. God, it must put people off wanting to buy buildings in Wellington. You know, I was talking to my friends about this over the weekend um, when my story came out and we just all thought, you know, we just wouldn't go near an apartment in Wellington, which is really sad because we're all sort of in our our late 20s and that's being sort of pitched as as the new way into um, home ownership, right, is is starting off um, with an apartment. And, you know, Wellington's where a lot of the jobs are. I certainly wouldn't be looking at an apartment. Campbell is planning more stories of troubled apartment owners, but the response has not all been sympathetic. Somebody posted on on my Twitter account, and I'm quoting them, we wouldn't have much sympathy for anyone who gambled on Bitcoin as a retirement plan. Why is investing in property any different? But (laughs) It is harsh, and I think that the difference between this and Bitcoin, for example, is that it's somebody's home. And I think, you know, New Zealand society has traditionally placed a significant importance on home ownership. And, you know, apartment owners feel like they've had their property rights taken away. Meanwhile, Mike Mendonca says Wellington will be a construction zone for years to come. By the year 2050, we expect the downtown population of Wellington to have doubled. So so the big challenge we have is accommodating that growth while retaining our heritage and building in resilience. I like to think that we're going to retain those bits of Wellington that we love, the facades certainly, and and the heritage components of Newtown, Courtney Place and Cuba Street. You can already see in parts of the city that we are starting to live in more high-rise, more intense uh, dwellings. That is what uh, I think Wellington looks like in the future, a compact city that um, is easy to get around and doesn't sprawl. We, we can't sprawl, actually. But what that means if we're going to build up rather than build out is that we need to build in resilience. So uh, I anticipate we'll see a lot more things like base isolation, other clever ways of, of um, mitigating earthquake risk uh, um, as more and more, have come of us, more and more of us come to live in the central city of, of Wellington. Right, and so does that mean that you know this work to strengthen these buildings is going to go on for decades? Uh, yes, for for at least uh, at least fifteen years, possibly thirty years, depending on the nature of the building. But what what the new legislation does is for high risk buildings that are on roads that have uh, emergency services using them, or where a lot of foot traffic is, or, or vehicular traffic, uh, priority routes, they have to be done within seven and a half years. So it'll be a lot of work in the next seven and a half years on those buildings, and then slightly longer for the ones that are perhaps off the beaten track a little bit. There's some really, really hard public policy questions in here um, about public safety, and, and um, the question that a lot of apartment owners are asking is, if, if, if it's a public safety, then why isn't it publicly funded? Why is it privately funded? That's a really tough question, one that's being asked um, and, and debated at the moment. As we build a, a more resilient New Zealand and a more resilient Wellington, we need to resolve these sorts of things. It's not just with earth, earthquakes, but other things as well, like a changing climate and sea level rise, more flooding. We have to build all of this into our blueprint as, as we build a new Wellington. And it comes back to key questions like who decides and, and who pays. Fascinating stuff. Thank you very much for your time, Mike. It, I probably simplified it too much, but trying to explain this in 20 minutes may I'm too ambitious. Oh, you either do it in 20 minutes or in... Uh, 20 years. A good seismic engineer will take 20 years to get to the point where his or her skills are really useful, so you probably haven't got 20 years for me to talk about this. <laughs> no. <laughs>
That's it for today. Thanks also to Georgina Campbell. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Rangi Poak and produced by Alexia Russell. Kakite ano. Thank you.